Coming up on Philosophy Talk, Michel Foucault and power. What does it mean to have power? I'm very uncomfortable. I have no power. Why should she have the upper hand? Once in my life, I would like the upper hand. I have no hand, no hand at all. Is power a matter of top-down control? Or is it, as Foucault thinks, distributed across society? Is power everywhere you look? How do I get the hand? We all want the hand. Hand is tough to get. You gotta get the hand right from the opening. Power can be used for positive social ends. That's good. But it can also be used for control. That's bad. But resistance is always possible. That's good. But resistance is also part of power. Oh, come on. Our guest is Gary Gutting from the University of Notre Dame. Foucault and Power, coming up on Philosophy Talk. What is power? Who has power? And can we ever escape its clutches? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. And I'm Josh Landy. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where I teach philosophy and Josh directs the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today we're talking about Foucault and power. Ah, so Foucault's a great guy to think about when you want to think about power and power relations. Right. I mean, you know, uh, take his idea that power is everywhere, all over the place, even even places you wouldn't expect it. I mean, you might think you're doing something really benevolent, like coming up with humane punishment for criminals, but very often you're just exercising control over it. Yeah, that's part of it. But power isn't just a matter of getting other people to do what you want them to do. It's not just a matter of control. It's a matter of, like, ontology, of getting people to be what you want them to be. I think Foucault thinks that power somehow determines what kinds of people there are. How can power do that? I mean, I mean, there are tall people and there are short people. There are straight people and there are gay people. White people and black people. What's all that got to do with power? Well, 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 take one of your examples, being gay, or any of them would do, but take being gay. That's not just a matter of, you know, like biology or behavior or whatever. To be gay is to be located in a whole nexus of power relations. What are you talking about? <laughs> Come on, go back to ancient Greece. There were lots of men who do the things we think of characteristic of gays. They slept with other men, for example. But you know what? There weren't any gay people. How how can you say that men were in relationships with other men, but there weren't any gay people? Because back then, gay was not a social category. Nobody could possibly think of themselves or organize themselves or think of anybody else as gay. Okay, but even if I grant that, what's it got to do with power? Well, it's because it's power that decides what social categories there are, how they function, who belongs to them, Josh. Power does this. So you mean that if the powers that be, say all literature professors are aloof, tweed jacket-wearing aesthetes, I'm suddenly going to start thinking myself that way? Yeah, yeah, well, Josh, you're wearing a tweed jacket right now, (laughs) dude, aren't you? Okay, you got me there. But still... Even if we do fit ourselves into existing categories, that doesn't have to be limiting. I mean, plenty of people see their identities as sources of pride. Maybe they do, but the point is that these identities, these socially given categories, they tell you what to think and how to think. That's definitely not true. No, it is. Bear bear me out. Think about ancient Greece. Uh, Why weren't the Greeks asking questions about, say, gay rights? 
Well, because, Josh, they couldn't possibly have done that. That wouldn't have made any sense. That's not even a possibility within their cultural framework or, or what Foucault likes to call their episteme. Episteme. He really did like his fancy new words. So, so what does that one mean exactly? Uh, it's not that fancy. It's something like a paradigm. It's all those background assumptions that we may not be even aware of, frequently aren't aware of, but nonetheless they guide and control and constrain our thinking in every single area of life. Okay, so they guide our thinking, and they don't tell us what to think. No, you're, you underestimate the power of the episteme, Josh. The episteme can lock us into a way of thinking. If that was true, no one would ever disagree with each other like, like you and I are right now. And besides, besides, Foucault somehow magically came up with this unprecedented idea. How did he do that, Ken, if his mind was totally enslaved to power? Because thought does not change thought. Power changes thought. You see, you just want to reject Foucault's entire theory of power. That's your problem. Oh, no, no, not the entire theory. Just the loopy parts, Ken. <laughs> Look, I, I'll tell you one thing I think is really brilliant in there, and that's the idea that we need to stop thinking about power as us versus them. We, we need to stop thinking about it on the model of you know a tyrant oppressing the people a, or a ruling class exploiting the workers. So now you're getting with it. You, you, you like his idea, his rejection of Marx, it sounds like. I do. I mean, I think he had this really interesting thought that you know Marx just isn't going to cut it for the modern age because there's no center of power anymore. There's no one person or one class telling all of us how to live. No, there's no center of power. Are you really denying that there's no, you want to say there's no top-down power these days? I mean, does even Foucault want to go that far? Well, you know, however much we're being oppressed from the top, that's nothing compared to what we're doing to each other. We're all acting as enforcers. You know, every hour of every day, we, we internalize the norms of our society, and we end up reproducing them willy-nilly. Every, every single one of us, whether we know it or not, is a conduit of power. And that's the thing you like in Foucault. Man, that's the thing you like. I, I find that part a little, like, troubling and depressing, dude. No, 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 you got it wrong. It's empowering, Ken. I mean, once you realize that injustice isn't always a matter of bad people exerting power over good people, but that it can be systemic, that's a game changer. Well, well, I, I see your point there. I mean, think about the Black Lives Matter and other movies. It, 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 its representatives have, have fully taken on board the Foucaultian idea that it's the system that's unjust. It, no matter, it's not a matter of individual consciousness, of our individual intentions and thought. I mean, even people with perfectly good will are usurped by the system. Exactly. And quite a few activist movements today are inspired by Foucault, actually. And, and, and we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Liza Veal, to find out just how theory becomes radical practice. She files this report. There are some things that aren't on the ballot that I would like to vote for. This is Mark Bamuti-Joseph, an artist and curator with the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. He spoke at a summit right before the 2018 midterm elections. I would like to vote for black beauty as an aspirational standard. I would like to vote for black health as a civic priority and for black life as something that matters. Yeah. I would like to vote for the feeling that I get when I hear Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway sing The Closer I Get to You. The Closer I Get to You. That to me would be a hell of a democracy. The title of this summit was Reimagining Political Power. A lot of people there were frustrated with the institutional political process. They looked for hope elsewhere. And though no one talked about Foucault, you could draw a straight line from his ideas to the political role that Joseph sees for cultural spaces like his. 
we begin with the premise that culture precedes policy, that we're here to generate culture so that the most number of people feel the most kinds of agency because they're inspired by a place like this. It's not hard for people in social justice spaces today to see what culture has to do with power. It's been almost 50 years since the slogan, the personal is political, was coined. Foucault is a big part of why these ideas make sense to us today. Foucault never encouraged anybody to plunge into politics in the old-fashioned sense, parties and Congress and all that stuff. This is Bruce Robbins from Columbia University. The single most famous thing that he said is that in political theory, we still haven't cut off the king's head. We still think of power, in other words, as a pyramid. And if you can have an impact at the top of the pyramid, you know, it's going to make a difference. But today that might not be so true. For a lot of people now, the king's head is off, meaning elected officials are seen as only as powerful as the system that props them up, a system we're all a part of. Foucault gave a lot of people concerned with a lot of different issues, the sense that they could and should do something exactly where they are. And this is, you know, the funny thing about his concept of power, that it's kind of everywhere. It is everywhere. It's not somewhere way up there. And people have taken this to mean a lot of different things. You can fight power, for example, on your Facebook feed. So I may be going on a little bit of a rant, which is something I don't normally do or at your Thanksgiving dinner table. As much as I'd like to discuss how African-Americans and people of color have been marginalized throughout history, resulting in the normalization of their oppression and mistreatment through laws and social norms meant to uphold white supremacy, these sweet potatoes aren't gonna eat themselves. Or on the football field. We're talking about Colin Kaepernick. He's the San Francisco 49ers quarterback, and he's been refusing to stand for the national anthem. Bruce Robbins says you can trace all this to Foucault's idea that power works through generating norms. And that, I think, has really gotten into a, a common sense. It's a contribution that has served social justice movements and tangibly improved people's lives. People have gotten very, very sensitive to the words they use and the categories they put people into and ways of trying to keep people out of categories. That really has raised the level of civilization in the country. But Robbins' problem with Foucault is he doesn't have a useful vision for how all of this fits together. There's no kind of guarantee that what you do over here will be connected somehow to what they're doing over there, and you know that it really is all one system. Some organizers and activists outright reject Foucault. I think people see differentials in power between themselves and their friends, their coworkers, their clients. Uh, th those are all real, but at the same time, there's a much more significant force that socialists recognize as being powerful in our society, and it's the power of the ruling class. It's the power of the capitalist class. This is Jeremy Gong, an organizer with the national leadership of the Democratic Socialists of America. There are three men in this country, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, and Bill Gates, who control half the wealth of the country. For Gong, you can only challenge that kind of power with a mass movement of the working class. If they can get together, overcome their differences across race and gender lines and other divisions, they can create a movement that's powerful enough to transform our society. And that means joining organizations, taking part in politics, organizing your workplace, and that is the only way that working people have ever won things that they need. This isn't a new critique. Foucault was writing in France at a time when Marxism defined intellectual thought. Even though Foucault saw himself as adding to, not against Marxism, many in the workers' movement saw his ideas as undermining or distracting from the cause, kind of like Jeremy Gong does today. I thought we were an autonomous collective. You're fooling yourself. We're living in a dictatorship. 
For Philosophy Talk, I'm Liza Veal. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music. Thank you for listening. Thank you for thinking. And thank you for supporting Philosophy Talk.